This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for a very special 463rd episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Shatter Podcast. I'm the host, the Hollywood Reporters Executive Editor of Awards, Scott Feinberg. And for those of you tuning in, as opposed to joining us here in this beautiful setting, uh, we are recording this episode in front of an audience of film lovers at the Vea Newport Beach Resort and Spa as part of the Newport Beach Film Festival. My guest today is an actor and comedian who has been appearing on screens big and small for 35 years and who I have loved ever since I was a kid. And he was first making his name on TV Saturday Night Live and in films like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, The Wedding Singer and The Waterboy. Over the decades since, he has continued to pump out hilarious comedies that inevitably prove to be blockbusters at the box office, while also showing other sides of himself it admired dramas like Punch Drunk Love, Rain Over Me, The Meyerowitz Stories, Uncut Gems, and this year, Hustle, which Netflix began streaming on June 8th, in which he plays a basketball scout who discovers a generational talent abroad, and for which he has received some of the best reviews of his career. Now 56, the New York Times has called him, quote, one of the biggest movie stars in the world, one of the most famous comedians alive, and the modern inheritor of the legacy of Jerry Lewis, close quote. The Guardian has stated, quote, there's a strong case to be made for him being the most successful Hollywood star of all time, not of the past 25 years, nor our generation, of all time, close quote. And to that point, New York Magazine has noted that if you account for inflation, 18 of his films have grossed more than $100 million worldwide, which is a higher tally then Ben Stiller, Jim Carrey, Will Smith, and Tom Cruise. But beyond that, he's turned out to be a really formidable actor. And like the Newport Beach Film Festival, which will be recognizing him with its Performance of the Year Award, I think that's something worth noting and celebrating. So would you please join me in welcoming to the stage Mr. Adam Sandler. Thanks for showing up, everybody. You all look good. <laughs> well, on this podcast, we try as much as we can in an hour to cover the whole uh, highlights of life and career of our guests. So to begin with, if you don't mind, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living, Adam? Mm. That's a good question. My, uh, We're from Brooklyn, New York. My Yes, there's Brooklyn people here. This feels very Brooklyn, doesn't it? <laughs> um, hello, Jackie. That's my wife over there. She escorted me down here. Good to uh, have you. Um, we had a nice you. trip talking, yeah. <laughs> listening to music. Uh, I had to wear the mask, though. My parents uh, 
both Brooklyn people. Uh, my father was an electrical engineer, and my mom was a nursery school, or is. Well, she was. She's still alive. My yes. father passed away, but she was in nursery school when, uh, when we were little. Now, what sort of comedy did you consume as a kid? Was there uh, anyone who really meant a lot to you? Yes, yes. The Marx Brothers in my house were, were a big deal. Um, Jerry Lewis, you mentioned before, loved him. I remember this is a terrible story, but my grandpa passed away. And, uh, and uh, I was laying in bed on the, the day of the funeral, and everyone was coming from New York to New Hampshire where we lived. And I was laying in bed watching a Jerry Lewis movie, and my uncle drove in five hours to the funeral. He knocked on my door, and I was like best friends with my grandpa. And my uh, uncle said, how you doing, buddy? You okay? Like checking in on me. I go, yeah, Jerry Lewis is watching Jerry Lewis. And he goes, I mean about grandpa. I go, oh, yeah, you know, very, Jerry Lewis took me out of that pain. Right. So I guess um, there was a nice connection. Absolutely. Well, you know, I know the question that comedians always get asked is, you know, were you the class clown? But I actually, my deep uh, research into you has yes. led me to learn that it wasn't so much in class that you were you were the clown. It was actually in movie theaters, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to scream at, the, yes, I, I, at a movie theater when it was packed with people and I was with my friends and the lights were turning down. Then I would th scream something out and if it got a reaction, it felt very good. <laughs> now, it was in terms of that becoming something that, you know, you could channel into a, a an actual... Um, I don't know if it was even thinking in terms of profession, but just something to to do more seriously as, as far as stand-up. Yeah. Can you talk about, I guess you're about 17 years old. You have a yeah. brother, yes. also Dave Scott, yes. who uh, I, I gather you, you respected a lot what he thought. Yes. And what did he say to you? I was, I was 17. I was filling out applications for college. I knew nothing about it. I really was very stupid. <laughs> Didn't know much. Uh, I was, I was. All my friends were talking about what major they were going to be. I was like, I don't even know what the majors are. Um, so <laughs> I asked, and I'm telling you the truth. I was quite numb in the brain. Uh, but I said to my brother, "So what should I major in?" And he said, uh, "You should be an actor." And I go, "Oh yeah, okay." And uh, he said, "You should be a comedian. You're like Eddie Murphy." I said, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And that's basically how I all of a sudden said, that's what I'm going to do. And then he told me, he was going to Boston University, he told me there was an open mic night there for comedians. And I said, what's that? He said, just comedians come down and they do five minutes of material. And I was 17 and pretty young for that. But I said, yeah, yeah, let me do that. He said, yeah, I'll get you a spot. It was a lottery. You pick a ticket. And you wait outside, and he, he got me a ticket, and uh, we ate dinner in the house, my brother, me, my, my whole family, and I was in a button-down shirt, and my father said, why you got that button-down shirt on? I said, oh, I'm going to be, a, I'm going on stage tonight. He goes, you are? And my brother said, yeah, I got him a spot in Boston. And they were all like, oh, okay, what are you going to say? I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was driving down with my brother, and he was like, you know what you're going to say, right? I said, what, what do you mean? I, don't I just go up there and talk? And he said, uh, I think you got to have some jokes. He, go, he goes, maybe talk about grandma. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll talk about grandma. And I went on stage. They brought me up there. There was a bunch of great comedians killing. Everyone loved them. 
And then all of a sudden, the guy goes, our next comedian, he reads this thing, Adam Sandler. He's, <laughs> I think he's in high school still or something. And yeah. I came on stage, and I had a retainer in my mouth. And I was telling stories. Nobody was listening. They all hated me. And uh, I just heard one guy go, is that a retainer? <laughs> and I was like, ah, yeah, it's a retainer. And uh, But I drove home with my brother that night, and he was like, how do you feel? Are you all right? I said, what do you mean? That was great. He goes, yeah, they didn't like you. They didn't like you at all. I said, no, no I know, I know, but it was exciting. I think I want to do that. I said, I like those other guys. And I, the other comedians, I loved them. And so then I started realizing gotta got to put some work right, just in. Just a little bit. Yeah. Now, you had also been pretty involved, I guess, with music in high school. Yeah. And there's always been this this uh, running thread through your work of music and comedy sort of blending. And we'll talk about more yeah. how, how that factored in. But just was that for you, I, I got the sense that it was actually a way of maybe making you feel more comfortable on stage? Yes, yes, yes. I, I was in a rock, I was in rock bands in high school. I was actually in, in sixth grade. I was in a band called Still Young. Me and uh, Lex Lianis. <laughs> Lex Lianis was the drummer. I played guitar. We played House of the Rising Sun. I think that was the only tune we knew. <laughs> and we played at a uh, talent show one time, and everybody, you know, was excited. All my friends were like, Sandman, oh, my God, you played guitar. And, <laughs> and that was so cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a rock star one day. And then um, I don't think that caught on. <laughs> and uh, I was like finding out that a lot of other people were into becoming rock stars. So I said, uh, maybe I got to, I'll take that comedian path. <laughs> and and as we've seen, you know, really uh, almost, I think, a new kind of comedy where the music was music very was central big. to it. But. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. And back in the day, like you said, I... I felt more comfortable on stage having a guitar in my hands because I it, it gave me something to do with my hands. Yeah, when you're yeah. a comedian and you're telling stories and you're nervous, you don't know what to do with it. You got one hand holding the mic and the other hand, you don't know exactly what to do with it. If I had a guitar there, it, it just relaxed me. That's when I was young. Now I'm a little, little bit smoother. Not yeah. much, but... <laughs> So you end up going off to NYU Tisch, a great yeah, school. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what were you studying there and what were you doing when you weren't studying? Because I believe that second part might actually lead into a story about your freshman roommate who is yes. going to factor in throughout all this as well. Yes, yes. I went to study acting. Great school. I, I, I went there. I wanted to be an actor. I was in some program to become uh, an actor, the Lee Strasberg Institute I studied at. It was great. Got to know a lot of people. Uh, and then that's kind of where I, but at night I would do my stand-up comedy. And um, my, I think Scott's referring to my roommate, Tim Herlihy, who I wrote all uh, all our movies, you know, the Billy Madison on, we wrote together. He, he, I told him I wanted to be a comedian. He was a business major. He said, oh, okay, do you have material? I go, oh, no, no, I don't have material. <laughs> I said, I went on in Boston, and they didn't like me because I didn't really have much to say. He goes, I'll write you some jokes. And he had nothing to do with with our business at all. He, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to get, he wanted to be a businessman. I remember when I first met him, I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to be a billionaire. I said, oh, <laughs> that's a good idea. And uh, But uh, he got into this. He wrote me jokes, and we've been... Uh, partner or not. That's great. And that was the jokes that he initially was writing for you were because pretty regularly throughout, even while you were in school, you were getting into doing stand up in yeah. the city. Yes. And, um, and in fact, I guess 
A lot of Greenwich Village, right? That's yes, it. The, uh, it was a place called the Paper Moon. Yeah, and it's not around anymore. But it was that in uh, Folk City. Yeah. I remember Bob Dylan started out at Folk City, so I used to tell my friends in New Hampshire, "I'm playing the same place Bob Dylan started out." <laughs> and and um, I had a teacher, by the way, growing up, who used to say I look like Bob Dylan in class. He used to call me Bobby Dylan <laughs> every time I'd raise my my hand. He'd go, "Bobby, you got the answer," and I'd be, and all the other kids. But like, who the hell's Bobby? I, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Paper Moon, and uh, and there was some older comedians that always kind of liked me and helped me get on stage. Nice. Well, I believe even before you graduated from NYU in 88, you were already getting professional acting or screen yeah. opportunities. I mean, you were in a few episodes of The Cosby Show yes. from 87 to 88. You were Stud Boy on MTV's was, game show uh, Remote Control, 87 to 90. Yes. Um but in terms of making the move out to LA, I guess you graduate yeah. Yeah. and then you head out there. Did you know anyone out there? What was the what was the plan? That was a lucky plan. So what happened was I did stand up comedy at a place called Catch a Rising Star. I, I don't know if you remember that place, but it was gigantic in the eighties and uh, Jerry er, Seinfeld also, right? Yeah. yeah. He we, we both did the comic strip, which was about a couple blocks away. But uh, Catch a Rising Star would, was nice enough. They threw me on. I used to, me and Chris Rock used to get on everywhere because we were young and we were decent. So it was like, they were like, yeah, those young guys are okay. Let's put them up there. And Bud Friedman, you guys know who Bud Friedman is? He, he owns uh, the, he, he started the improv in New York and LA. And he happened to be in the crowd. He came up to me after he saw my set. I was, just got out of NYU. I was 21. I just got a, an apartment in New York City. And he said, you uh, plan on coming out to L.A.? And I said, for, for, for what? And he goes, well, that's, that's much more work in L.A. if you want to be an actor. And I said, um, yeah, I guess I could do that. And he said, well, if you come out, I'll put you on at the Improv. And so in the I, Valley, right? I started at the yeah, Valley, yeah, yeah, but no, he gave me a primo spot at, at the Melrose, oh, Melrose okay. Improv on a Saturday night, which was like, that's as good as it gets. Time, it's yeah. packed. And so my, uh, I called my dad up that night, and I said, I met Bud Friedman. He goes, Bud Friedman from the Improv? My, he was very famous. He was kind of like Lorne Michaels. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, like where you just, his name was big in comedy. And um, I said, he told me to come to L.A. He put me on at the Improv. I said, I just got an apartment here in New York. What should I do? He goes, well, you got to go to L.A. if Bud Freeman wants you. So I told my roommates I'm leaving, gave him another month's rent. They hated me. <laughs> and uh, that was that. Moved well, on out there. And talk about, I mean, you get out there, again, not really knowing very many, if any, people. Right. Um, and yet you pretty quickly found a network of people who to this day are a part of your life. Can you mention how yeah. you met a few of them? I became friends with Judd Apatow and Spade and Rob Schneider. Uh, we, we were all young. I, I remember Judd Apatow, I got off stage at the improv and he came up to me and he was like, I thought you were going to do your Barishnikov bit. And I used to do, Bar you guys, the dancer Barishnikov. One of my jokes was I would wear sweatpants and I would say, here's my impression of Barishnikov and I would pull my pants up and show the whatever bulge I have, <laughs> uh, not the greatest bulge, but it, it worked for the bit. 
But uh, anyways, I would do that, and I'd say, and he said, I thought you were going to do your Barishnikov bit. And I said, oh, oh, how'd you know about that? He goes, I saw you in New York. And I said, oh, cool, man. And Judd was like a fan of comedy, knew every everybody's act. And then we became friends, and then... Rob Schneider and David Spade, they live, Rob lived right across the street from me, and then we became friends, and David Spade lived down the street, and we I all think, became tight. And Aniston even, right? I think Aniston was, was yeah. dating a friend of ours, and we'd have uh, breakfast with Aniston at Jerry's Deli, and yeah. she was always funny as hell, and uh, yeah, we, we loved Jennifer. She was always cool. Nice. Well, in terms of movies, that started a little bit while you right after you got out to LA. I know my siblings and I wore out our VHS of, of going overboard, which you was did? 89. That's um, terrible. And terrible. I know I said, I saw you sort of distance yourself from that. I have the, not distance. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't, you don't have to see. It. Well, the only reason I want to talk about it though, is yeah. because another person in that yeah. was, you could say the Adam Sandler of 50 years earlier, Milton Berle. Uncle right? Milty was yeah, in that. Yeah. I did a scene with Milton Berle. Yeah. I was 22. Pretty cool story. I went on stage at the improv. Maybe it was like my fourth time. I swear to God, that's how easy I thought life was going to be. I got off stage. These two people came up to me, a man and a woman. They said, do you want to... Uh, that was funny. I said, oh, thanks. They said, do you want to star in a movie? I go, Yeah. And they go, okay, well, we're doing a movie. You want to be the star of it? I said, absolutely. And they said, we start shooting next week. I said, okay. And they said, we're going on a cruise ship, and we're going to shoot on the cruise ship. I go, yeah, yeah, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so I went home that night, and Judd Apatow came over, and I said, oh, by the way, I'm doing a movie. He said, what do you mean? I said, some people are doing a movie. They asked me to be in it. I, he said, "What? What's the part?" I said, "I don't know. I'm I'm the star." Of that. <laughs> and he goes, "What's it about?" I go, "I don't know. It's on a cruise ship." And he goes, "Is there a script?" I go, "I didn't ask." <laughs> and and then literally went on the boat, went on a cruise ship. They would hand me pages every day. I'd be like, "Okay, that sounds good. Go say those words. You got it." <laughs> and then we had fun. And we all kind of I fell in love with it. Yeah, met a lot of great people there. Got to do a scene with. Uncle Milty and Burt Young was in it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I got to know Burt Young a little bit, and then um, a lot of great actors yeah. happened to be in it, like Billy Zane was yeah. in it, and uh, man, uh, Billy Bob was in it. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Early days. Early, yeah. when we all were good looking back then. <laughs> well, and then it's back to, back to stand-up, but I wonder if you can connect the dots. I've heard that Dennis Miller may have been the one who yeah. first said... To Lauren, you got to see this guy? Yes, yes. Is he that... liked me. Dennis liked me. Yep. Dennis saw me. He thought I was funny. I was like 21. And uh, he, he was just great to me. And he was friends with me and Spade and Schneider. We all loved him. Play. He And he called Lauren up and said, you got to see this kid. He, he used to call me Sandman. <laughs> Dennis, I mean, the Sandman. You Is he the one that started that? They used to call me that when I was a and kid. kid. When I was a kid. But... um. But Dennis used to go, Sandman, here comes the Sandman. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he told Lauren, you should watch this kid, he's funny. And Lauren saw me in Chicago uh, with the same night as me, Chris Rock, and three other comedians th that were better than us. Wow. And for some reason, Lauren hired me and Chris. And uh, So there wasn't like an 8-H, Studio 8-H audition? You we guys didn't were... get to do that. Okay. We, we were at the Chicago Improv. I was in my room. Uh, my friend, my 
Hurley used to say to me, you got to get on Saturday Night Live when I was at NYU. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do it. <laughs> and uh, I, and uh, I was like, uh, he's like, e like Eddie, you want to be Eddie Murphy? Go do Saturday Night Live. I said, yeah, yeah, let's get that. And uh, so anyways, I remember being in my hotel room in Chicago alone sitting there looking in the mirror going over what five minutes I was going to do for material and I kept just looking at me in the mirror and I was going don't choke just don't <laughs> choke this is the one get it done I went on stage and I did pretty good not great Chris Rock did great and uh, I was flying home on an airplane like everyone else sitting in there and it was when they first started having phones on an airplane and you, you put your credit card in, and I think two minutes was 20 bucks. <laughs> and I was flying, and I was like, shit, I got to know how I did. But that 20 bucks is going to kill me. <laughs> and, but I did it. I put credit card in, called my agent. I said, uh, how, did they, how did I do? Did they like me? He said, oh, yeah, Lauren liked you. He liked you and Chris Rock. He wants you to be a writer on the show. And I go, a writer? <laughs> I don't want to do that. And he right. said, well, maybe you can, you know, Transition, eventually get yeah. on. And But uh, so anyways, that's what happened. Well, that's, yeah. So that, I believe, is November 1990. You get hired as a writer. Three yeah. months later, you're appearing on the show, and people will remember Cajun Man, Iraqi <laughs> Pete, yeah. Opera Man, of course, in the yeah. cape and wig. Yeah. But also, because I think it, it sometimes memories blur, like I had to be reminded that the first time you did the Thanksgiving song and oh, the yeah. Hanukkah song was during Weekend Update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess that transition from being a writer to a performer, how did it come about and how did, did you immediately just sort of feel at home doing it? No, no, no. I was always nervous. I, it took me time to get confident and stuff. But I, um, I, I used to... In the beginning, because I, I was a writer, and so was David Spade, and so was Rob Schneider, and, and Conan, and a lot of guys, Bob Odenkirk, Robert Smigel. If you wanted to get on camera, you wrote something that you knew the cast members weren't excited to do. So if I was writing a skit, and I wrote, and the delivery guy comes in without a shirt on, I'd know most people didn't want to do that, and I'd be like... I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I got on got on like that. And then eventually I started getting on Weekend Update. Lorne was nice. He said something about Weekend Updates, the way to get for America to get to know you. Because you're talking to the camera, you're talking to America, you're looking right at them, and then they get comfortable with you, and then they'll start allowing you to do the other stuff. Now, just a quick follow-up about the Hanukkah song, because... Uh, you made a lot of us uh, Jews very, very yeah. proud with that. Um, <laughs> Jewish Journal called it, quote, the best contribution to the holiday songbook since White Christmas, close quote, which also, by the way, was written by a Jew, I believe. Irving <laughs> yeah. Berlin. Irving Berlin, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, Hanukkah song, let's just, again, people may not remember. It was so popular yeah. that it reached number 80 in the Billboard Hot 100. That's Did not, it? Yeah, that's, that's like, funny. that's right up there with probably at that point, you know, whoever the biggest pop stars uh were but i guess i just wonder what inspired it had 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 judaism always been like a big part of your life or? it was uh yeah yeah i mean i was jewish growing up and I, I was proud and uh i would always be excited when i was a kid if another celebrity on tv talked about being jewish i'd be like oh that's cool he's jewish too so um I remember I was walking to work. I was walking to Saturday Night Live, and I, I had this idea. 
oh, maybe it'd be funny if I wrote a song and just like list a, a bunch of people who are Jewish and that they didn't get to celebrate Christmas, but they had fun with Hanukkah. And so um, I wrote it. I sang it at, um, I wrote it with a couple of guys on the show. I sang it at the read-through. At Saturday Night Live, you do a read-through on Wednesday to um, try to get your skits on. It did very well. People laughed at it at the table. And then I heard, okay, they're going to use it. They loved it. I said, oh, my God, that's great. And they said, but they want Roseanne. It was Roseanne Barr was the host. They want Roseanne to sing it for the monologue. And I went, okay, yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and I, But in my head I was going, oh, that was, that was going to be a good one. But uh, that's Roseanne's now. And then Roseanne, like on Friday, said, Oh, I, I don't want to take Adam's song. Give it, give it to Adam. And I was just a young dummy, and uh, she didn't need to do that. And then, and she said, "No, oh, that's so funny. Let Adam have that. He wrote that." And then, so I lucked out and got to sing it on the show, and it went went smooth. Nice. You know, before we move on from the SNL period, I got to ask you. You know, you were there with this wave of other, you know, up and coming young guys. Yeah. Many of them, I know you. You've remained close with. And then, so I just wonder if you want to talk about who. Your, your memories of the people you came up with and also if there were any of the older guys who were particularly yeah. good to you guys. Absolutely. The older guys we still love and we still look up to. And when we go out to dinner with them, we let them do the talking and uh, we just nod along. Dana, Dana Carvey and, and Kevin Nealon and Phil Hartman was incredible. And um, Lovitz was always nice to us. And... Uh, Jan Hooks was incredible. Yeah, that cast was amazing. We, we knew they were better than us. And we were kind of open about that. We're just like, well, I'll never kill like Dana. Dana used to make the, it was the biggest noise ever when you would watch him and the, the, the amount of laughs he would get. So we would be like, well, we'll never get that, but still. And the we, when you're talking about this is you... Me, Spade, Farley, uh, Schneider, Norm MacDonald, uh, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock. We were just kind of, we knew our, we knew we, we were pretty good, but we weren't going to be as good as those guys. So some say that you and Farley quit. You've said you guys were fired. Yeah. What actually happened? It was kind of like them asking us to to quit kind of <laughs> they were like it's a, you did your thing there was a new new people at the at the network they apparently the guy didn't like me and they didn't like chris <laughs> and i was just thinking of farley coming in the office and me and him shared a, an office me chris spade and and rock all had a little back corner that we wrote all our stuff in. And I remember Chris coming in, and he's like, Etsy, we're getting fired. And I was like, oh, I don't know, man. We'll see. He's like, it's true. <laughs> and they don't like us no more. And anyways, so they kind of said goodbye to us in a nice way. Lorne was great to us. He he wanted to, to protect us, but there was some new dude. I can't remember the guy's name, but he didn't yeah. like us. Well, in a weird way, it might be the best thing that ever happened to you, Sure, right? sure. It probably was a good thing. I was on the show. I think I was only on for three, three and a half years or something. As a performer. As, as yeah. a performer, right? Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I had a lot of great shots. They let me do my thing. And then, yeah, it's nice to hit and run. Well, let's talk about, so pretty, pretty soon after, I think you're out in 95, 
And in 95 was the first of two movies within a year, both in February, Billy Madison in 95, Happy Gilmore in 96. Yeah. Both starring you, both produced by Bob Simons, written by you and Tim Hurley, yeah. distributed by Universal, both just instant classics, especially for my generation of people coming up. First, let's start with Billy Madison, a guy forced by his dad to go back to school um, in <laughs> yeah. Tamara Davis's film, Billy Madison. This is again, 95. Yeah. Um, I guess there's, there's so many great moments there, but you and Tim wrote it, I guess, while on different coasts. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 why, yeah. you know, where did this crazy idea even come from? And then how does that work? I think I had that idea. Hey, Barry, my buddy, Barry Bernardi's back there. He produces a lot of our movies too. Hi. Hello, Bernardi. So, yeah, Billy Madison, I think I had that idea. I thought, always thought it would be funny for a grown man to be in first grade again and uh, because just thought it would be neat to yep. s sit with other first graders and have to do what they have to do and be a grown-up doing it and, and, seeing, and being stressed out uh, over elementary school. So, anyways, me and Tim thought it was a funny idea. It was kind of like Roddy Dangerfield going back to school and going to college again. So, we, we, we had a slight rip-off going that we were ripping off Rodney a bit. But uh, anyways, I would pitch it to people. I'd pitch it to studios. They'd be like, I don't know about that one. Uh, and then somehow we wrote this script, and it was dead. No one wanted to do it. And then Bob Simons, who he did Problem Child. Yeah, you guys remember Problem Child? I loved Problem Child when I was a kid and uh, or when I was younger. So anyways, um, uh, he calls me up. He goes, hey. I did a movie Airheads with Bob. He yeah. produced that. So he called me up and he said, um, do you know uh, that script you and Tim wrote, uh, Billy Madison? I said, yeah. He said, do you still want to do that? I said, well, yeah, of course I want to do that. He goes, I think I can get that made at Universal. I said, well, yeah. And I called Tim up. Hey, we can get, we can do this movie and blah, blah, blah. And we were excited and we and that's, that's kind of how it went. And stuff like with, with your movies where, you know, some of the funny lines that people will never forget, you know, and the stuff with... Shampoo is better, condition yeah. is better, stop looking at me, swan. Is that all in the script, or are you coming up with it on the day? That was on the day. Most of it was in the script. That was, I think I was just sitting in the bathtub, and there happened to be a swan <laughs> there, and I said, stop looking at me, swan. And then the shampoo thing, maybe that was in the script, and uh, shampoo's better. And I, I, it's so funny. I do get random people on the street coming up to me, Adam, I got to ask you something. Seriously, what, what's up, buddy? What is that? Shampoo <laughs> or conditioner? I'd be like, oh, well, conditioners, you know, makes the hair silky right. and smooth. And... <laughs> but uh, anyways, it was mostly written, though. But the, the the swan, I think, was just luck that there was a swan in right. it. Right. Now, I guess during post-production of Billy Madison, I, I had seen something where you said that's where you really got into the idea of, you know, just the overall filmmaking process. I guess yeah. you were part of the editing and all of sure. that. Did it make you, I mean, you, so many of your movies, I think you are an uncredited writer yeah. on, but in terms of the other aspects of the filmmaking process, were you after that more interested, more engaged? Yes, in yes, that? yes. Well, yeah. what happened was we did Billy Madison. We shot it. Tamara Davis was great. Very nice person. Worked her ass off and was, she made movies before, so she knew what she was doing. And then... We watched the first cut of it, and we went, oh, wait a minute, that, that, that joke, we meant it more like this, and we thought this was supposed to be like that, and Tamara said, oh, why don't you come in the editing room, and we'll, we'll hang out and, and 
just we'll discuss some stuff. So that's the first time we saw the editing process and Tamara was nice and let us jam with her. And then from then on, we said, oh, it's good to go in the editing room, too. So you kind of get to say what you were thinking. These these words, when we were young, man, every word of every joke or every beat in the movie meant so much to us that we just wanted to make sure it was uh, uh, shown in the way we liked it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's often, less so in recent years, where even uh, even critics are getting more with it with with the, the Sandman. There, yeah. in the early years, there were there was sort of a snobbishness with a lot of stuff. And I I wanted to ask you. It's my sense was that Billy Madison was sort of a turning point for you, where you had said at one point, "quote Billy Madison they slammed, and I didn't expect it. I was like, oh, these guys are going to see that I'm trying to do something. I don't know, connecting to my generation, uh-huh. other stuff like that." At a certain point, do you just say, I don't, I'm care about pleasing my audience, which it's certainly doing. And if they, if the rest of the, yeah, you know, yeah. people like it, great. If not, yeah. I mean, what was, it sort of was a, a turning point with, with Billy Madison? It was like, uh, they, uh, the, they wrote so many bad things about it that, and like you said, if I wasn't expecting it, me and my friends knew how hard we worked on it. And so we thought people would say, wow, these guys really thought about everything, but <laughs> They didn't like it, and um, and then we said, and then we showed it to some people, and they and the people had a good time with it, and we said, oh, they liked it, so that's kind of who we made it for. I I remember we used to talk about Caddyshack a lot, and we were like, I don't know if um, I don't know if Caddyshack got reviewed well or not. I never I never read a review right. in my life. <laughs> we didn't think about that growing up, you know. I loved Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because I went and saw it. I didn't read in the paper, you know, how it was shot and why it was a certain way. And the, you know, I, I didn't think about stuff like that. I just kind of went into the movies and enjoyed it and had my own opinion. So I stopped reading reviews because I knew it's probably healthier for, than reading how bad you are over and over and stuff. So we just kind of said, let's just do our thing and, and, and stuck with that. Year after Billy Madison, as I mentioned, Happy Gilmore, ex-hockey yeah. player who yeah. breaks into and forever changes the world of professional golf in Happy Gilmore. I think it's kind of a story that I can tee up that is, uh, you know, illustrative of the what a lot of people say about you is just how loyal you are to the people you, you work with and are friends with. And here's a case where how did you meet? Is it Dennis Dugan? Is that the way you yes. pronounce it? This is the guy that directed that and many other movies of yours afterwards. Yeah. But the reason that you hired Dennis initially for Happy Gilmore, where did you know him from? 
He he did problem child, but he I, I think he I think I auditioned for him one time, right? Four times on the one oh, movie, oh, oh, and then yeah, they yeah. still didn't give it. Oh to yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a movie. What was it called again? That was a. It's called Brain Donors. Brain in Donors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on a night at the opera. That's right. The the, the it was based off of like a uh, Marx Brothers yeah. classic, and, and so he really went to he bat liked for me. You. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work out, but you remembered it. I did. I was young, and he kept yep. saying, "Watch this kid. He's funny." He liked me and Jim Carrey. Yeah. And I don't think Jim Carrey got it either, right? I don't think so. Uh, uh, just, um, I loved him. Funny as hell. He was kind of like from that airplane school when he would tell jokes and when I first knew Dennis. And I liked Problem Child a lot. And then um, we had this Happy Gilmore idea, and I just, just met Dennis and thought that would be fun to do it together. I think it connects all the way through to hustle, this love of sports and sports yeah. factoring into your movies. Absolutely. Um, but do you remember what sparked the idea for Happy I do. I was on the, uh, my friend Kyle McDonough. I've told this story, and Kyle likes when I tell the story. So Kyle was a great hockey player, and I grew up in New Hampshire. It was a very hockey town. And uh, Kyle, actually his brother played for the Kings, and uh, Hubie McDonough, and Kyle was pro in Norway. Anyways, we were in ninth grade or something. And my father took us to, my father was a great golfer. And um, he took me and Kyle to the driving range in New Hampshire. And I was trying to hit the ball as far as I could to make my daddy love me, of course. <laughs> and Kyle would just go up there and just smack the crap out of it. And my father the whole time kept going, man, those hockey boys, they know how to hit. <laughs> and I was just, I was jealous in my head. I'm like, eh, hockey boys. But, uh, but um, I thought, I was in college, and uh, like in my last year of college, and I went, man, that'd be a pretty funny movie idea. A guy like a hockey player mentality, uh, being able to smack a ball pretty damn far and going on a and eventually becoming a golfer but not wanting to be one right that's yeah. great so that was billy madison 95 happy gilmore 96 then yeah. 98 was a pretty big year because it was both the wedding singer and the water boy and yeah, uh, yeah. that and was a good time so just the thing to bring up about the wedding singer where Again, your Robbie Hart wedding singer left at the uh, guy who's been left at the altar. Another guy you've worked with as a director, your director numerous times, Frank Caracci. Uh, Caracci, Caracci. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that's notable here is that it's you and Drew Barrymore for I think the first of yeah. four times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it, just to read what some other people have said, even though you know critics are not always right, I feel, but we will just here's some positive things to bring up. The New York Times said that quote that she has, quote, brought out the best in Mr. Sandler when you guys work together. New York Magazine once said that you two, quote, share a similar childlike innocence, close quote. But what's your thing? How did you guys connect, and why do you work so well together? Well, I love her. Yeah. Great girl. I was just talking with my wife about Drew about a half hour ago, how nice she is, and, and she's so good to my wife. and, and um, She's just a nice person. And what happened was we were at New Line, at the time, they were making. Uh, they had a deal. I think I, I think they wanted to make a movie. I don't even remember some sort of deal. And um, I had this wedding singer idea, and I told them about it, and they liked it. And then out of nowhere, they said, "Who do you want the uh, the woman to be?" I said, "Oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that." And then they called me a couple of weeks later. They said, "Drew Barrymore wants to meet you." 
And I said, Drew Barrymore, sure, sure. For the, she said, she has an idea that she wants to do. And I said, I think I want to do that wedding singer movie, but maybe I can talk to her about that. And so we sat at the newsroom. Yeah. We sat at the newsroom, some yeah. little coffee joint on Robinson, sat, talked. She, show, she showed up. She was cool as hell. She had like pink hair and <laughs> everybody was looking at her. Every girl when she walked in the place was like, holy shit, that's Drew Barrymore. <laughs> and uh, I sat with her and we laughed and had a great time and just connected, had a, had a very nice family kind of feel uh, we felt comfortable with each other and so we went on from there that's a beautiful movie and then later that year which a, a movie that i believe you pitched while making the wedding singer was the water boy where you're mm -hmm. bobby boucher the college yeah. football team water boy turned tackler again yeah. karachi directing yes and um karachi played Bobby's nasty father at the end. Oh, really? Okay. He showed up. That uh, yeah, was Karachi, uh, uh, <laughs> his acting debut. He did very well. Well, it was your your other movies had done well, but this was yes. the first. Oh, yeah, truly yeah. This was like a huge, a right? boomer. Yeah, thirty nine million dollar opening weekend, one eighty five yeah. million dollars worldwide. Yeah, and when you factor in inflation, still your biggest hit, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, um, not that the movies have have often not been hits, but this is just to remind people how successful this movie was. Um, and I guess, did anything change as a result of that? I think it was pretty soon after that you started Happy Madison, your Maybe, production yeah. company, yeah. Uh, just a year later. What does that give you the power to do that you, that you couldn't have done before you had your production company? That was, and I remember, Jackie, that was the night we were together, at, with me, you, and a bunch of the guys... When we got the results for the Waterboy, right? We were in a hotel room, and they and uh, I think Joe Roth called us up and said, uh, and Joe Roth did hustle, by the way. That's oh, that's wow. pretty the cool. Thread, yeah. But Joe Roth called us up and said, "Oh, are you ready for this?" And we said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Wow, your movie's gonna do almost forty million dollars on opening weekend, and at that time. That was pretty, that was like a $100 million movie. Now, uh, we were like, holy shit, and we just started dancing. There was like five of us in a room, and me and Jackie just got together. She, We, we just met and fell in love, and then we had, uh, we were like, um, she was like, wow, I've never seen Adam this happy, man. <laughs> He's jumping up and down, and we were like, yes, because I think what happened was they started trusting us more. You know, Wedding Singer, we got some trust, too. Billy Madison and Happy, they trusted. We kind of know we want to make movies. They liked them, but they didn't make that much money to make them say whatever those guys want to. But this, this Waterboy thing kind of just made studios and people that we worked with just say, yeah, I don't know, maybe just let them do their thing. Well, and your, your thing then, I guess, meant working over and over with people that you wanted to, that you like. And yeah. so let's just note a few of the people that have been in numerous Adam Sandler movies, uh, Rob Schneider, Steve Buscemi, David Spade, Henry oh, yeah. Winkler, Chris Rock, John Turturro, <laughs> Peter Dante, Alan Covert, Jonathan Loughran, John Lovitz, and Kevin James. Yeah. And then in terms of directing, 17 of them have been directed <laughs> between Stephen Brill, Frank Karachi, and Dennis Dugan. Um, so working with people you like yeah. in places you want to be, which that that seems like a... We should shoot one right yeah, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Somebody but, come up with the idea. I mean, that seems like a, like a 
cool perk of having a production that company. That was pretty good, man. We got to have fun, always went away, made movies, made stuff we loved. We put the movies first. It yeah, was yeah. never like uh, we said, hey, I want to go to Hawaii <laughs> next week. Just we'll crap out something. We had, right. we really believed in all our stuff. Right. If it made sense to shoot it you know, in a beautiful place, Matt, that we were excited to. Right. Now, qu- last quick thing about Happy Madison Production Company. When at the beginning of a movie we see the Happy Madison yeah. logo, who is the person that we see and whose voice do we hear saying yeah. terrific? Terrific. That's my dad. So my dad passed away um, uh, maybe 20 years ago or something. And when we were making the uh, emblem, and we put my dad up there. And he, that was what he used to say. My father, every skit I did on SNL, every joke I said, every thing on my albums, I'd say, hey, dad, you hear that? Did you like it? He'd be like, terrific. <laughs> so that's why we put terrific in that's there. That's great. Nice yeah. tribute. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're not going to go uh, in depth on all of these because there's so many memorable ones. But I'll just note in Big Daddy, again, Dennis Dugan directing, this is 99. Um, first film that I think was not developed by you, but that you yeah. uh, were a part of and first time playing a guy with a kid. If there's anything you <laughs> just, a, 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 anything you want to say about that one before we that go That was up? just a good script. Everybody was kind of going uh, after it. Guy, guy, it was called Guy Gets Kid. Big, Big Daddy's first title was called Guy Gets Kid. Just a great script, fun stuff, great idea. I remember Farley loved it. I was just telling Jackie about that, that Farley loved it, and he called me up, and he's like, yeah, it's he, you're going to... It's actually when Chris was not doing as good as he... You know, when we were starting to get carried away too much with, with drinking and drugs and stuff, I remember he, a phone call, he was talking to me a lot about guy gets getting how much he loved and he was excited for me and all that stuff and but anyways uh yeah it was just fun idea um about a guy not not being a even thinking about having a kid and all of a sudden having to grow up quickly and uh yeah that was that was amazing time and uh and, and it was it was a script they gave us that me and Hurley he did uh rewrites on rewrites. it to make it more of a something that we could connect with just a quick since you mentioned Farley, I've got to ask you, I, I've heard, I've always wondered, how do you keep a straight face when people are <laughs> being very funny around you? And I, I was going back and rewatching <laughs> some of these to prep and in Billy Madison, he's the bus driver yeah. and there's a scene. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. You, I heard this was one that maybe was the hardest for you to keep a straight face. hundred percent. Chris played the bus driver, Billy Madison, and he he always tried to make you laugh when you would do a, a skit with him. Or, but in this movie, we didn't have that much time. It was a low budget. And I kept going, Farley, quit looking me in the eyes. I don't want you to do that. We don't have time. It's the end of the day. Will Anzi. And he would just make me laugh. And I, I think when we edited the scene, it's on my back maybe 90% of the time because I'm just <laughs> laughing and I'm looking the other way and trying not to ruin the scene. Hilarious. Yeah. Well, 20 years ago, 2002, was maybe the beginning of a new chapter for you. I'm not, it's not that in any way you stopped making these great yeah. comedies, but you also, I think for the first time, showed us this this other side of you where, you know, you, you play sometimes more dramatic, darker characters. This first example was Punch Drunk Love, Barry Egan, Guy yeah. Uh, raging after being exploited. <laughs> this is Paul Thomas Anderson, and I want to yeah. ask you to talk about it after I 
read you something that he once said. Um, quote, I saw this Best of Adam Sandler DVD from Saturday Night Live, and an amazing thing happened. There's this moment when he's doing this talk show called The Denise Show, and his ex-girlfriend who's left him, and his father calls up and says, what are you doing? You're embarrassing the family. And Adam yeah. goes into this fit of rage, screaming at his father. And honest yeah. to God, I saw this moment where it appears as if the whites of his eyes turn black and they roll back in his head. <laughs> it was like he just lost his mind. I would play it back over and over and over again. And you can see him kind of snap back to reality. The audience is laughing and it's almost like he finally started to hear them laughing a few seconds later, close quote. But after that, he says, I, I needed to write something for Adam. Oh, so I wonder how you first heard from him and, and how he presented this vision of a very different sort of character than you played up to that point. That, that's great. I never heard that yeah. quote. And uh, I love Paul. I don't know. You know how I get to meet Paul? The, Tom Cruise. I met Tom Cruise a few times. Um, when I think Nicole Kidman hosted Saturday Night Live, Tom Cruise came and we were all young and Cruise was wearing a Yankee hat. I remember seeing him going, oh my God, that's Tom Cruise. Holy shit. And uh, he looked up and he was like, hey, what's up? And I was just like, well, yeah, there you go. That's why he's cooler than all of us. I didn't know I didn't know he was that smooth. And anyways, I loved him. I told him I loved him. And um, uh, so anyways, I get this call from Tom Cruise. I think I was shooting Little Nicky. Probably when he was doing Magnolia, maybe. I think yeah. he was doing Magnolia. Yeah. Yeah. And I was shooting Little Nicky, and I and they go, Tom Cruise is on the phone. I said, hey, man. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, hey, I just want to introduce you to a friend of mine who's writing a movie for you. I go, oh, okay. And uh, he goes, this is Paul. And then I'm going to put him on the phone. And Paul was doing Magnolia with Tom. And I said, hi, how are you? And he said, hey, I just want to say I uh, really like your stuff. I said, oh, thanks, man. And uh, he goes, and so I'm writing a movie right now for you and I hope you like it or something like that and I said all right well good luck and uh, I was like I am nice to meet you I hung up and then I was remember saying to my friends some guy Paul <laughs> I don't know Anderson he's writing some movie and, and uh, Tom Cruise though and I was only talking about Tom Cruise right. I was like holy shit Tom Cruise called me and uh and then a little later it came up again. Paul's gonna hand me that movie, and they said, and they were like, "Do you know? Do you know Paul's stuff?" I said, "No, I don't even. I don't know who Paul is." And they said that he did a movie called Boogie Nights. Mm -hmm. I go, "Oh, I didn't see that." And so and they said he has a movie Magnolia out right now. And I said, "Let me go see that." I sat and watched Magnolia. I was in the front row because it was sold out. I was alone eating too much popcorn. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole other story. The amount of <laughs> popcorn I was on the I was on the Atkins diet, and they said you can have popcorn. So I was like, well, I got to eat some goddamn popcorn. But anyways, I watched Magnolia, and I was like, this is the coolest, craziest movie I've ever seen. And I was like, that guy wrote me a movie. Holy shit! And uh, then Paul came over, gave me the script. I read it, and I was in love. I loved him, and I loved the script, and that was that. Do you think there's anything to what he was saying that, you know, even in the funniest examples, whether it's like Happy Gilmore or other movies, there's sort of part of the comedy is there's this like simmering rage. Sure, sure. Yeah, and he yeah, yeah. decided to try to bring it out in a dramatic part. Yes, he would say that a lot. He'd say yeah. it's a different, he'd say it's at the core, it's an Adam Sandler movie, yeah. but uh, just wrote it differently. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and you had said, I guess, up to that point at least, that it was the role that most reminded you 
of yourself and then you said your brother and maybe Judd to a degree is that true I I, I at the time they would say what what what, what were you doing I, I in in this scene in that scene I'd say you know I said my brother was was go- a little quiet and didn't have uh, the greatest social skills growing up he was very nice but um, so this character was like that and I would say Oh yeah, I think my brother would do it more like that because my brother—I was more of a guy who could talk in a room and be around and shake hands with people. When, when my brother, when somebody would tell my brother, like the neighbors would come over and uh, somebody would say uh, before the door opened, my f- mother would say to Scott, "Make sure you shake Mr. Ferdinando's hand when he comes in the door." And uh, my brother would be like, huh, and he'd get really nervous. And then Mr. Ferdinando would come in. How are you? He'd give everybody hellos and have a whole thing. And we'd be going to see my father. And all of a sudden, I'd see my brother way too late. Like, it was like 10 minutes already into it. And I'd see my brother come out with the hand and go, and Mr. Ferdinando would be like, what the hell are you doing to me? It's nice to see you. And he'd be like, I just saw you for like 10 minutes, but all right. And so anyways, I always, I felt... Barry Egan was that kind of guy, which just in a, in a social situation, he was nervous wreck. And um, so when he fell in love and was trying to talk to the girl he liked, he wasn't smooth and connected to that. Right. So. And just to show the versatility in one year, the same year that Punch Drunk Love came out was also Mr. Deeds and Anger Management with you yeah. and Jack. So yeah. that's one year. And, and the steadiness of what you've pumped out Back with Drew in 2004, 51st States, yes. number two. Um, and I think that was one that she had found, she said, or is that maybe, right? Maybe, maybe 51st Kisses, it was called. Oh, originally, And then we yeah. went, went from there, and it was set in Seattle, and then somehow we moved it to Hawaii, and it was the best, but it was also a real sad thing because my father, we just got to Hawaii, me and Jackie, to start the movie. And then my father was, my parents called us and said my dad was sick. And so we were like, oh, no. And so I remember on the weekends, me and Jackie would get on a plane to go see my dad in Florida. So it was Hawaii to Florida on a Friday night and then see my dad for a day and then Sunday come back to Hawaii. So it, it kind of hurt, you know, it hurt. And those flights were the worst, huh, buddy? Uh, because we were so sad and you're on a plane and you're all shook up that your dad's not doing well. But anyways, um, the movie itself, loved it. My dad got to see it. And when my dad was in in, uh, in the hospital, we would get cuts of it. And, I'd, and this is like the last two weeks my dad was alive. And I would say, hey, Dad, what about this? And he'd watch scene after scene. And he, he liked it, liked it a lot. Another just crazy year there for you because that was also the year of Spanglish with James Oh, yeah, James that was amazing. I love that. John Klasky, the chef who yeah. grows apart from his wife towards his housekeeper. But right. um, here's another quote. I'm going to read back to you. This one's from James L. Brooks. Asked why he wanted to cast you. He said, quote, I'm sure if this was many decades ago, Billy Wilder would have hunted him down. Wow. If it was before that, Frank Capra would have hunted him down and got him. When you want a believable male character who's touching, who can act, who has comedy, and who is utterly truthful and sensitive, it's just rare. Close quote. Wow. Um, so here's the guy goes back to Mary Tyler Moore with uh, oh, yeah. comedy we and so much else. Him. You, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, had turned down the part that Jamie Foxx played in Collateral in order to do this. I don't know if I turned it down. I just 
I, was, I met Michael Mann, yeah, and I loved that movie too. And it was with Cruz, but I think it just, just I think the timing, timing was yeah. at the same time, right. and and I, and I was already talking Committed, with Jim, yeah. yeah, yeah. But just uh, that movie again, it's sort of in this where you were not, not still doing very funny Adam Sandler yeah. patented comedies, but also an, inching into more dramatic. Stuff. It was amazing because just like Paul Thomas Anderson, James L. Brooks, you just don't want to let him down. When I read the movie, I he wrote Spanglish and I was in the room the first time I read it in his office with with Jim in the room. And I was like, "Holy shit, it's so meticulous, it's so smart, funny, warm." And I and my first thought was, "Oh my god, I don't want to ruin this movie, you know?" And I just want to do as good as I can for him and uh, work, just work. When you get a movie from a great director or a great writer, you just, the first thought is, let me just make sure I, I please that person. Well, two years after that, you and Karachi were back together with Click, which, just if anybody needs a reminder, a workaholic who finds a remote control that enables him to rewind or fast forward through his life, which has unintended consequences. But a New York Magazine guy, I don't know if you saw this a few years ago, went back and I think over the course of a month, watched every Adam Sandler movie uh -huh. and came away with uh, reporting the conclusion that this is the best Adam oh, yeah? Sandler movie. Now, forget about whether all critics agree or whatever, but there yeah. was something about it that was sort of a that he felt. And I guess a lot of people, a number of other well-known people have said this is sort of an underappreciated look at what you can do. And I know you actually said, you know, you've got Henry Winkler as your dad. Right. At a time shortly after you've lost your dad. Yeah. Um, you were approaching 40 at that point. You were expecting your first child. Yeah. It's a very emotional movie on top of being funny. I just wonder if you remember that, that sort of your mindset at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember caring about that movie very much and what it meant and how time slips away and... Uh, you know, if you work too much, you miss out on so much, and and just what were you gonna say? Oh yeah, that you when you watched it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, would yeah, you, yeah. Would you repeat that, Adam? Yeah, can't? Jackie was pregnant with our Sadie, and and uh, when she saw the movie for the first time, was crying and crying and crying because it just, you just. You just thought about family. You thought about losing people, about not being with each other enough and uh, things going right and left because of uh, just not focusing on the right things. And um, it was a special movie to us. We loved it. We loved it. We Honestly, we're pretty nuts, me and my friends and my wife. And when we put this stuff together, it, it means so much to us that we think <laughs> we think... Uh, it's you know it's at the time it's a, the best thing it, it means a lot to us yeah click meant a lot to us so I do remember that and and to me it's a again the maybe part of what the New York Magazine guy was saying is that it's showing both such great comedic chops and dramatic chops which maybe oh, yeah. veered even more with the next one Rain Over Me a year later oh yeah Rain Over Me was a man who's lost his family in nine eleven mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and what that. I'm sure demands of you as an actor. This is Mike Binder, the yeah. director. David Thompson, just, I know I'm mentioning a lot of critics and stuff, which, but I think it's important to note that for all the ones who have given you shit, there are yeah. a few that have, yeah. have really gone out and said, 
the I think some insightful stuff. David Thompson's one of the most highbrow of the critics. He says about that movie, quote, Sandler isn't just good. He's hushed, anxious, and fabulous. And he got the picture made, close quote. I don't think too many people were going to make this movie about a guy grieving mm -hmm. about 9-11 six years, not even six years after 9-11. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And in fact, I think you initially passed on it. So what made you decide to come back and do it? I, I don't remember 100%. I do remember loving Mike Binder. Yeah. I loved his passion. I liked his other movies. And um, I was probably scared to be that guy. And then I said, let's do it. Like a lot of stuff I've done, you know, we sit and talk, me and my wife, and we go, well, that one has a lot of meaning, so maybe you should dive into that one. And that and uh, Binder just became a very good friend of ours, and uh, I loved him. Yeah. So that was that. Now, I think for the first time in 2009, first time you and Judd, your friend from when he comes up to you after a comedy club in the in the Valley in L.A. when you're yeah. first out there, you're acting for him in Funny People, mm -hmm. comedian with a terminal illness. He said that he wrote the movie because, quote, I wanted to talk about when I first became a comedian and the moment I was allowed into the world of comics, close quote. But here really again, a side of yourself that I don't think people had seen before. Was that yeah. a special movie for you? I love making one with Judd. Judd, that was Judd's baby. He 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 just loves comedy. He loves stand-up. He loves talking about stand-up and the process and writing jokes and how dedicated comedians are to just comedy. And uh, he knew me very well. We lived together when we were young, and um, he, he used to talk about this this would be Adam if if he didn't meet Jackie and became and didn't become a, a normal person. He thought I was going to be a maniac. So, well, that's uh, quite a compliment to, to Jackie. Yeah, yeah Jackie. <laughs> okay, 2014, you did your most recent of the four collaborations with Drew. That was blended for Karachi again. Yeah. That same year, Jason Reitman, Men, Women, and Children. That same year, Tom McCarthy, The Cobbler. Yeah. That same year, you began this relationship with Netflix that has been for a number of years and and great stuff including your return to televised stand-up right right 100 fresh but um here with the home stretch these are the the last five years sandy wexler in get focused <laughs> sandy wexler in the movie sandy wexler i guess kind of based on your yes. own manager sandy uh -huh. wernick mm -hmm. um some people have called it the sort of the sweetest of your yeah movies. yeah um that year as well was no Bombach, Marowitz stories, well, yeah. which yeah. I think you initiated that one, right? You're not often uh, necessarily reaching out to other filmmakers saying, can can you come I, up yeah. with something? Right? I, maybe, maybe. I remember him and Stiller were tight and Stiller. Uh, I don't know how it all happened. We had a lunch together, me, Ben, and, and Noah Bombach, and we were talking about, oh, I think I was said I th said to Ben, we got to play brothers one day, you know? And he mentioned it to Noah. And then we all sat down together and jammed on it. And then Noah came away with that idea. Great. And Dustin Hoffman as your Yeah, daddy. yeah. Love Dustin. And, By the way, Dustin, yeah. I had uh, COVID, like I said, maybe uh, started like eight days ago. He said, uh, he called me and Jackie up to go to a Laker game. He said, I said, oh, I got COVID, man. He goes, really? And literally, like a half hour later, was the biggest pot of soup and oh, wow. bagels and all this shit. He said, my grandkid got me COVID. So 
<laughs> I know what it's like, man. And That's nice. Yeah. Well, okay. So then prior to Hustle, maybe the greatest response from not just your hardcore loyal fans, but even the people who might have at one point uh, been a little snobby about you, Uncut Gems for oh, yeah. the Softy Brothers. Yeah. You're playing Howard Ratner, this jeweler in New York's Diamond District, gambling addict, guy <laughs> who just seems to get himself into more and more trouble yeah. as it goes along. Um, but these the Softies, these are young guys who haven't made a ton of movies, but what they've made have always been good. But pretty, I guess I just wonder. fresh. Whatever yeah. they've made. Was, I, I, watched, um, I watched a couple of their movies, but I went, after I watched their movies, I was like, holy shit, these guys are doing something different. And I got excited. And what were they presenting it to you as, hey, this this guy, Howard, is sort of a version of our dad. It's going to be a different kind Man, of acting challenge for they you? They talked about Howard Ratner like he was a hero all the time. They, I, I would I would read the script and I'd be like, he he's not that likable, man, and he, he he does some bad stuff. And they're like, "Oh yeah, but that's just Howard. That's just how he is." I'd be like, "Yeah, but man, I think he's just, he's running around on his wife. He's nasty to his own family. He's gambling. He's lying." They were like, "Oh yeah, but that's just Howard, man." <laughs> I'd be like, "All right, but he's a great guy, man. He's passionate." And I said, "All right, all right." And then I slowly started going, oh, I, "I get what they mean. He he was just." It was he was true to himself. I believe your your wife also may have oh, intervened yeah. on that one. Yeah, Is she told right? me to do that one. I was scared in the beginning. Jackie, you read it. What scared you the most? Well, I think just being that big of a, a you could say it, a, a, you know, <laughs> dicky human yeah. being and being so uh, thoughtless, not caring about anybody else's uh, the effect on anyone else. Just such a guy who only gave a shit about himself and. Uh, but Jackie read it and it was just like, holy, you got to do that movie. I said, yeah, 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 you think so? She's like, oh, it's, it's so different for you. Yeah, you got to do that. So anyways, that's... And the ways you guys, the way in which they work, because you guys are now going to be reuniting. I think mm -hmm. it's new, relatively new news. But they yeah. work in a different way than pretty much anyone you dealt with before, right? They certainly don't stop working hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've been writing this movie we're supposed to do together uh, for a a couple of years and they just write hundreds and hundreds of pages and then and i i'll read them and then i say i like the part uh when this this and they'll be like oh that's not it anymore no 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 we did a whole other thing uh yeah we, we're gonna send you a new draft and they just don't stop writing and thinking and coming at every angle they can and this movie we're going to do is pretty amazing pretty amazing i, I just i can't really say exactly yeah, sure. what it is because i know that's what they they want to tell you sure but it's going to ah, be different different and the you were like out on the streets being sort of film filming in a way like right this was not uh, oh yeah, they might yeah, shoot yeah for hours right They'd hide cameras and stuff when we did Uncut Gems, and I would just be in that costume and walking down the, the block of, on 47th Street, and they'd have hidden cameras from different places and try to sneak in shots. And that the, the scene when I get thrown in the fountain and beat up, and those are like little sneaky cameras and spots. And you only have like on, on those sort of things, like maybe one take to get it right. And they would just kind of orchestrate everything and just say 
and I would get a call in the tra- when you shoot in New York City, it's it's crazy as it is. But with those guys, it was just they were trying to do so many things at once. And I would be in my trailer. I'd be in the Howard Ratner getup, and then they'd knock on my door and go, they're ready. I'd be like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> and I better not blow this and then get on out there and do it. But, I mean, it's also the speed that you had to do with that movie. Let's talk about usually a, a page of script is a minute of screen right, time. right. This is a 90-minute movie, I it believe. It is, huh? Yeah. It's like you've been shot out of a gun. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It was always, everything was going on at once for the guy. He ne- <laughs> never calm. Never, and it's funny, you say that the first draft of the new one, three, 340 no, pages. No, no, no. It was insane, but, uh, and it was great. And everything, everything they wrote, I was like, this is incredible. I can see why you don't want to lose any of it, but they just keep making moves. Wow. And I'll just one funny, you made a funny note of a, of a unfortunate situation where I guess there, you won the best actor independent spirit award for uh-huh. that performance should have gotten, should have gone beyond that. But when it didn't, <laughs> Adam Sandler tweets, quote, bad news. Sandman gets no love from the Academy. Good news. Sandman can stop wearing suits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like suits. I don't feel no. good in suits. Yeah. And, uh, and when you do run around and uh, this type of stuff, you're supposed to dress up. And this is not that good. My wife did pick, say to me when I was walking here tonight, you had to this doesn't quite match the pants, does it? Hey, it's, I think you look great. It's, it's the best uh, I could do this morning <laughs> at you. You 7 in great. the morning. I said, just it's pathetic. I haven't <laughs> no. liked suits ever since my bar mitzvah. That day, I was like, why the hell am I wearing this suit? It's so damn itchy. Right. All right. Well, this brings us to 2022. Earlier this year, we got the opportunity to see on Netflix uh, a terrific performance of yours as a guy, Stanley Sugarman, an NBA scout whose own playing days we find out were cut short by some by a mishap in his life in this movie, Hustle. Yeah. And we'll note it stars you and then as well uh, Queen Latifah, Ben Foster, and a ton of non-professional actors, many of whom happen to have professional basketball experience, which for a basketball obsessive like yourself must have been like going to fantasy sports camp. So just how did this come about and, and was that really as fun as it looked? Yes, absolutely. It was amazing. Uh, so Joe Roth and uh, LeBron and Maverick, they have a company, two separate companies, but they own the script and they knew I like basketball a lot. And then so they sent it my way and I read a first draft of it and I was excited about being a, a scout and excited about finding a player and like a, a unicorn that comes into the league and means a lot. And um just just got more and more excited about being that guy. And then what what happened with the director, I said to Ted uh, Sarandos, who, who runs uh, Netflix, I said, it was the pandemic. And I said, what what should we watch? He said, have you seen this movie, We the Animals? I said, no, no. I watched it and I, I thought it was amazing. And I called Ted and I said, can you get me that guy's phone number, the director? I want to tell him. And I called him up and told him how much I liked the movie. And then we got to talking, and he, he was mentioning maybe he had this other idea for me and him to do together. And I kept, I was in the middle of working on Hustle, and I said to him, uh, there's a movie, I don't think you're going to like it, because he, he's very deep 
Uh, he was making small movies and documentaries. I said, this is a little more commercial than that. But uh, it's set in Philly, and you're from Philly, so maybe uh, maybe you'll like it. And anyways, uh, he was a Sixer fan and got more and more into what the idea of the movie was about a just dreamers people who aren't giving up on dreams and going and going for it and, and showing how obsessed you have to be to to make it in in certain industries and in almost every industry so anyways that uh he finally said i'm in and we we got going on it and it's it's just a like you can't take your eyes off this guy he's another appropriately enough hustler like in a way a a, a howard ratner who's actually a bit of a good guy but has yeah. the same propulsion and drive and all of that. And I guess I just wonder for you playing him, what did you find the most interesting, the most challenging aspects of that? I loved being a guy who just cared about someone else so much and, and just, yeah, he wanted to make a mark for himself because he's been in, involved in the NBA for so long and everybody in every job wants to say, you know, I was here too, man. I did, I did a lot of stuff and I hope you noticed it. Uh, but I just love the age of my character, the age of where Wancho Bo Cruz, um, where he was at, just a young guy who was hungry. And I like like getting to be somebody for him that was fatherly and brotherly and uh, just like a, a pro, a man who's been around and just trying to set a guy straight. And I just I enjoyed being that that character. And how about the response to this? You put something out on Netflix, it goes, not that your movies have had a hard time finding an audience around the world, but it is kind of an instant thing when something goes on Netflix, as you've found with these, these earlier things you've done with them, it's in every country except like North Korea, essentially. Yeah. You know, the the reactions that people have had to to your work in this movie have been pretty, pretty tremendous. amazing. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I would walk around everywhere when that movie came out and just a lot of different people would talk to me about hustle and, and uh, they, it was very nice, very, uh, it, it, it did something nice. People were baffled about um, Wancho, the guy who plays the basketball player in the movie, how great he was. Right. I mean, that's a, he's a legitimate, just a pro basketball player who happened to be an amazing actor and a handsome bastard. And <laughs> I love, I love them. Yeah. All right. So with the last minute, I just, a few Quick, random things. The first thing that comes yeah. to mind, if that's all right. Sure. Do you see any thread that runs through all the Adam Sandler films that we've been here talking about over a period of almost 35 years? Yeah. Is there anything that, you know, when somebody says uh, it's an Adam Sandler movie, now that, that can mean everything from Uncut Gems and Hustle to Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, but is there something about the screen persona, the guys that you're drawn to, just anything that you see that runs throughout? Aside from the fact that they're played by Adam Sandler. <laughs> uh, I think, man, I don't know. Everything's different. I'm sure when I'm in it, when I'm the part, I come with a little bit of uh, shit. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I connect to underdogs uh, um, I have in real life. And I've always rooted, rooted for underdogs. And I've always felt comfortable more and more when I go on a basketball court and I play people basketball one-on-one -on -one, if someone says 
I'm going to kick your ass. That's usually a game where I go, oh, I'm going to win this time because you're, I'm an underdog and I'm very comfortable being an underdog. If I've ever made this stupid mistake of walking on the court and telling somebody, I'm about to destroy you, <laughs> that never goes well right. for me. So I think I kind of feel comfortable no, in, in these really roles of... Uh, interesting observation, yeah. The line, which of your lines from your movies is most often quoted back to... at me? Uh, shit. I let's see. I get a lot of, I get a lot of different uh, thoughts. Uh, Price is wrong, bitch. I hear that <laughs> people like talking to me about Bob Barker. That's been right. around a long time. Right. They want to know if uh, I've, I fought Bob uh, recently, and he's I would still not, going strong. He still he still yeah. could knock me out. Yeah. Strong man. <laughs> That's the one though. You think Price is wrong? I bitch? probably hear that the the yeah. most. Yeah. Yeah. You have a couple of young daughters. I yeah. understand. How do they feel about? The work of Adam Sandler. Oh, they're very sweet about it. They love. They protect me. Yeah. If somebody if somebody dares to say the wrong thing, oh, they're gonna get it. <laughs> uh, they 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 love Daddy. Um, Which is their favorite of? Yeah. Yet. They like them. They like them all. It's funny. Uh, Sadie says what she says. Like she likes. She my Sadie likes the the serious stuff lately. She's sixteen. She's getting into the serious stuff. I like when you did this, Daddy. I like, uh, I don't know. She wants to get into that stuff. She wants to act and get nice. into the deeper stuff. And uh, and uh, and my sonny, uh, she, they have sleepovers. There's, a, it's pretty crazy. They think, I think they think they have to only show my movies <laughs> to people. Like I walk by the room, I'm like, you can put anything else on. You don't have to watch Billy Madison again. And uh, but uh, they're good. They're good. They they're good fans of mine, and they they. They care about me. And lastly, um, you know, we've spent about an hour here going through all the amazing things you have accomplished. Is there anything that you haven't yet accomplished that's important to you to accomplish? Um, I think I just, I don't know. I'm very fortunate. I've done so many movies. I've gotten to believe in uh, ideas and actually get to make them and i know everybody's dream would to be that so i'm living living a i've had a very fortunate life um uh, stuff that's left to do i don't know what it is i don't i want i just want i want to number one just be good to my family and uh make sure that they are happy and and healthy and uh then uh, also um Shit, just just want to continue to work as hard as I can, and people who be giving these great opportunities, I don't want to let anybody down. So I, basically, that's it. Well, I know I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of other people when I say thank you for so many hours of entertainment uh, and thank fun, you, man. And uh, thank you for coming and doing this. That's great, and I uh, really appreciated it. Hey, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Scott, you were great. Thank you, man. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.